As we turn to the Word of God this morning for our sermon text, uh, I've been thinking a lot about virtual schooling, which has been the, the idea that we've been going with over the last seven months or so. And Abby and I have been learning how much our children have to learn. That every couple of days or so, the boys come to us with a question, sometimes from their schoolwork and sometimes out of simple curiosity, a very basic question like, what is a cloud? Well, well, obviously, what is a cloud? I mean, many of us know the answer, like, what is a cloud? Water vapor up there in the sky? Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But it's not something you know from birth. You don't. It's not programmed into you. You eventually have to learn a lot of these things. And so as they're going through their studies, we're like, oh, I guess they don't know that. And they, we have to teach them that. And so becoming part of their education, we are learning how much there is to learn in life. Well, similarly, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians that he had to learn a fundamental life skill. He had to learn to be content. That finding contentment, especially Christian contentment, in all circumstances is a learned skill. And in our sermon passage today, Paul reveals the secret, the key to finding contentment in any and every situation. So you can open up your bulletins or your Bibles. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10 through verse 13. Let's hear the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen. Let us pray. Well, Lord God, we give thanks for your word. And we thank you that you have provided your word, you have preserved it, that you have made it available to us in our own languages, that it is widely distributed, that we do not have to depend on a priestly class or just one or two copies of it to hear the word, but that we have it in front of us. And so we thank you, O God, for your word, that it is living and active even today, and that it works by the power of your spirit. So use me, O God, to proclaim your word, expounding and applying it in spite of my own sin and weakness, that it would go forth in truth, and that we would have open hearts and minds to receive your word, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, the question I want us thinking about is, how do we learn contentment in Christ? How do we learn contentment in Christ? And we're going to take this passage upside down, essentially. We're going to start at the end at verse 13 and examine Paul's secret of contentment and then bring it back up the passage and see how he applies that secret to three different circumstances we can find ourselves in. 
And so Paul describes this so-called secret of contentment in verse 13. And verse 13 is one of the most well-known verses in Philippians and even the whole New Testament. Paul writes, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, the hymn there is Jesus. So, Paul can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And this verse is so famous in large part because we like to pluck it out of chapter 4 and write it somewhere so it can mean what we want it to mean. And so, this verse has often been taken out of context to say that Jesus gives us the strength to do what we want to do. That He promises to give us the strength to achieve our goals. Now, in its most erroneous form, when taken out of context, this verse can be used to help people think that Jesus is going to give me the power to do things I literally cannot do. Like, I'm going to go audition for American Idol, even though I can't sing. And I am going to be a famous singer because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so this verse has been used sometimes to suggest that Jesus strengthens us literally for all things, particularly to be successful in the things that we want to be successful in. But that is not at all what this verse is about. This verse is about contentment. And so we really, the problem here is we get hung up on the word do. The word do. And really, it's not just do anything. Do here means something more like to be capable. That I am capable for all things through Him who strengthens me. And so the emphasis is not so much on doing the things that we choose to do, as much as it is enduring or capably handling the things that come our way. That's what Paul says immediately before verse 12. I have learned the secret of facing, not doing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Hunger and plenty are not things we choose to do. I guess dieting kind of counts, but this is not what he is talking about. He is talking about suffering, having lack, or having more than enough. Those are not things we choose to do, but things we hope to handle capably with contentment. And so Paul says that he can handle these things capably through the strength of Christ. Because in himself, Paul is too weak to handle all of these circumstances. In times of plenty, Paul would be proud of his circumstances. In times of want, Paul would whine about his circumstances. But in Christ, he is strong to face all circumstances. As our New Testament reading from Hebrews 13 said, we have the promise from God that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that then we can say, the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me. And so Paul knows that Christ is present with him through the Spirit no matter what he is going through. That the blessings of Jesus do not ebb and flow with our bank account and possessions. 
that Christ Jesus is a sufficient source of strength no matter what we face. But Paul says this is something he had to learn. That we do not instantly understand the sufficiency of Christ when we first come to faith. That twice in verses 11 and 12, Paul says he learned this contentment in Christ. And so, yes, we can read the Bible and read about the sufficiency of Jesus. We can read works in church history or biographies of believers who've come before us and learn how they were content in all circumstances. But contentment is best learned through personal experience and practice. Think about how you learned to drive a car, if you're old enough to drive a car. You did not sit down one day and pick up the manual to your vehicle and read it cover to cover and study it to master what it is to work in this vehicle. You did not go on YouTube and say, okay, how to stop at a stoplight and search like, oh, that's what we do. Okay, we did not do that in order to learn how to drive. We learn how to drive in different weather conditions and road situations through practice and repetition. And as we grow up, hopefully, we become better drivers through these situations, that we test ourselves and the vehicle to know how best to navigate whatever circumstances we are facing, whether it is snow that is to come, whether it is the blinding sun up over the hill, or the many, many, many road construction zones on the way into town. Whatever it may be, we learn how to handle these circumstances. And similarly, we must learn to navigate the circumstances of life with contentment in Christ. And so in these verses, Paul directs us to three situations where we can learn contentment in Christ. He takes the secret of contentment in Christ and he applies it to these three situations so that we can learn what he learned. And so one situation he talks about here is being content in times of need. And that's the most obvious situation when contentment is necessary. That there will be times in life when we have less than what we want. And can we learn to be content when God has chosen to give us less than what we desire? Paul would say, yes, we can learn that. In fact, we should learn that. Now, this need can be a financial or material need, as in when money is tight or when we don't have the possessions that others have and we wish we had them. You know, when you only get four of the things in this book instead of 400 of the things in this book and you wish you had all of those other things that you can want what others have and can we be content whether it's financial or other material needs? But the need can also be a relational need. Paul speaks of being brought low, which is a kind of humbling. It can be humbling not to receive the promotion or recognition that we feel we deserve or the love that we desire from a family member. In all of those times, we can feel that God is not giving us what we want. And our natural response is often to resent the God who withholds his blessings. And if you don't believe me, think back to Adam and Eve. God said, you may eat from every tree in the garden except for this one. Oh, 
but that's the tree I want. It didn't matter that all the other trees were available. We only focus on the blessings God withholds. And so we are told that God is good, but we feel like God isn't being good to us. That resentment can boil over into anxiety if we start to worry that if God hasn't given us what we want, what if God doesn't give us what we need? And I don't have even enough. Paul knows that this is the natural response of the sinful human heart, but he also knows we can learn contentment in Christ. We learn that we have the strength to endure these circumstances in Jesus because we are given far more than we could ever want in Jesus. That we are given the forgiveness of our sins. That we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. That we are granted access to the throne of God in heaven. And that we are promised eternal life with Him. Paul draws strength from these spiritual blessings in times when he doesn't have the financial or material things that he desires. And in that way, Paul is like our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 17. It described that those who trust in the Lord like trees planted by streams of water, that neither excessive heat or drought worry those trees because their roots are deep down in the stream with a steady source of nourishment that always helps them bear fruit. Similarly, Paul says that believers can learn to abide in our blessings in Christ when we are in times of need. That instead of resenting what God has not given us, we can give thanks for all that He has given us in Jesus Christ and so be strengthened in seasons of need. And so that first situation, Paul applies his secret to is need. The second situation he applies his secret to is plenty. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, wait a second, Paul. How hard is it to face abundance and plenty? I think all of us in this room would be like, sign me up. I'll try to face abundance and plenty. Give me that. That's the one I want. Give me that choice. But Paul says that having abundance or money and possessions is indeed a danger to our contentment in Christ. Because we find contentment in what we have instead of in the Lord. Now, Paul isn't the only one to have ever said this. In fact, Moses said it long before him in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The God's people were going to enter the promised land shortly, and he warned the Israelites of the dangers of the good life. You don't hear that very often. The dangers of the good life. He said, when you come into the promised land and have eaten until you are full, built good houses, multiplied your herds, you will be tempted to lift up your hearts and forget the Lord, saying to yourself, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. The danger of having all that we want is that we may forget where all of those blessings came from. We could be tempted to think that we earned these blessings or that we deserve them. And so we no longer see them as gifts. We see them as rights. But these gifts are not necessarily promised to us. Yes, God promises to give us what we need, but he does not promise to give us more than that. Look back through the Bible. Look back through the history of the church. 
How many generations of believers enjoyed religious freedom in the nation where they lived? How many of them enjoyed the level of material blessings that we enjoy today? Not many. And so Paul warns us that there is a danger to the good life that we may be content in our privileged situation instead of being content in Christ. And so Paul urges and encourages them to learn contentment in times of plenty by giving thanks to God for our blessings. And to go even beyond giving thanks. To acknowledge that while these blessings are nice, we would love God even without our blessings. We would delight in Jesus even if we did not have religious freedom, even if we did not have access to quality health care, even if we did not have safe environments for our children. In seasons of plenty, let us not focus so much on the gifts we are given, but on the giver who graciously gives them to us. And let us see that blessings may be taken away, but Christ who strengthens us can never be taken away. And so he says the second situation we need to learn contentment is in times of plenty. The third situation where we need to learn contentment is in our relationships with others. But starting in verse 10, Paul begins wrapping up his letter by thanking the Philippians for a financial gift that they sent him to support him. Now we'll talk more about this gift and their financial partnership next week. But in verse 10, we get some insight into how Paul thinks of receiving gifts from others. He writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now, reading those words and maybe having written a thank you note or two in our time, we may think that Paul is offering a backhanded compliment. We may hear him saying, finally, you got around to giving me the gift. What took so long? We can imagine him being tempted to begrudge the Philippians for not sending the gift sooner. He says, now at length you've revived your concern for me. And so maybe we picture Paul trapped in prison, wishing that someone would relieve his hunger, lying on the floor saying, does anyone love me? But if we think that Paul thinks that, it's probably because we're coming to this passage with an attitude that thinks of relationships simply in terms of what we get out of them. But that is a transactional attitude, that relationships are simply transactions, that we value relationships simply based on what we get out of them, whether we get connections to influential people or gifts that make us happy or safety from danger or whatever it is. That we are only content when we are getting what we want out of a relationship. But that is not at, all, not at all how Paul thinks of his relationship with the Philippians. Rather, he sees their gift as the fruit of the love that the Philippians always had for him. He writes in verse 10 that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul acknowledges that the Philippians were always concerned for him, even before they sent this gift. The gift was just a tangible expression of that loving concern. And the gift was given at an opportune time when they were able to collect the funds and send it to Paul. They couldn't just wire transfer it back then. 
Now, when we think about opportune times for giving gifts, we're getting to that season for opportune gift-giving times. And when we think about giving gifts like that, they should reflect the love that we already have for others. These gifts that we receive from other people around the holidays, they are not why we love people. Oh, I love them because they give me Christmas presents. You know, or I, I love them because I give them Christmas. No, they are merely the expressions of the love that are, is always there. The word revived that Paul uses in verse 10 is a botanical word. It means to blossom again in the spring. And that these gifts are merely the, the fruits, the flowering of the life and love that was always there in the first place. And that is how Paul thinks about these gifts, that he does not view this relationship with the Philippians as a transaction, but as a loving relationship. One commentator helpfully writes that the gift itself, Paul can take or leave. What he treasures is the affection behind the gift. Paul shows that we shouldn't think about our relationships in terms of transactions. As weird as it is, Paul wrote a thank you note for this gift by saying, I didn't really need it. You know, if you get a thank you note that's like, oh, thank you, I totally didn't need that. You're like, oh, geez, what's up with that? But he's rejoicing at how the gift reflected the love that they had for him. He was thankful for how the Lord Jesus had brought them together as brothers and sisters in Christ in a genuine friendship, not based on what they get from each other, but based on a shared joy of being sons and daughters of God in Christ. And he treasured that more than any treasure they passed along to him. And just as we treasure our relationships for others for more than what they give to us, so we should also treasure our relationship with Jesus for more than just what He gives to us. Now, don't get me wrong. We should absolutely rejoice in what we are given in Christ, in how richly blessed we are. I love the Shorter Catechism, question 38, that we will be made completely happy in the full enjoyment of God forever is a benefit that we have in Christ. It's one of the greatest benefits we could possibly have in all the world. And those benefits, those blessings that we have of forgiveness, of adoption, of the hope of eternal life, of the peace that God gives us, we should remember that all of those are given to us in Jesus. And whether we are rich or whether we are poor, those gifts are ours in Christ. Whether we are healthy or whether we are sick, those gifts are ours in Jesus Christ. Whether our preferred candidate is in office or out of office, those gifts are ours in Jesus Christ. Whether our holiday gatherings this year go as planned or don't go as planned, these gifts are ours in Christ. Whether we have all that we want or far less than we desire, those gifts are ours in Christ. But even more than what we cannot lose, let us not forget who we cannot lose. Because knowing Jesus is more than a divine transaction of spiritual blessings. That as we face any and every circumstance, let us remember the greatest promise in the Scriptures. 
that our Savior is a real person who reigns in heaven and He says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to be with us by His Spirit. And so no matter how difficult our situation may be, Jesus is with us and for us. And no matter how great our situation may be, far greater is knowing that Jesus is with us and will never be taken away from us and is the greatest blessing we could ever have. So brothers and sisters, may we learn how to be content in our Lord Jesus Christ in whatever circumstance we face. Because in His strength, we are capable for whatever we have to face. Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that You would help us to treasure You above all the treasures of this earth. We pray that You would prevent us from coveting that which we do not have. For thinking that we deserve that which we do have. And to rather see all that we have as gifts of your grace. Give us thankful hearts that trust in you. So that no matter what comes our way, we delight in you. That you are the God who gives and the God who takes away. And yet one thing you do not take away is the blessings we have in Christ in whom we are saved. So Lord, may we find that contentment in him. And may we delight in Him. And may our hearts be so full of joy to overflowing that we want to share that joy with others as well. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.